Hello, Bears fans, and welcome to a brand new edition of Bears on Tap. I am Ron Luce. I am with the Q man himself today. We have a very, very special guest with us today from Windy City Gray Iron, Mr. Robert Schmitz. Robert, thank you, first off, uh, for joining us today. Uh, I know you and Q are very well acquainted uh, after the, the draft project that you guys worked on. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna dive in with you on the state of the bears, but before we get into all of it, how are you guys doing today? I'm doing fine. I mean, you know, it's another Wednesday in paradise. We're not quite in June yet, but we're getting there. And we're, what, less than 100 days away from the NFL season? Thank goodness for that. We're crawling ever closer towards seeing him take the field again. Can't wait. Absolutely. It's going to be a blast. Q, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. I'm uh, I'm excited to get this this project off the ground that we're kind of throwing together here on the podcast network. So uh, I figure I'll just give, give the audience a few details on it. Yeah. So basically we got seven questions for Robert. Robert's our film guy. And we're going to ask these same questions to first our film guy, Robert, then a stats guy, then a coach at some level, most likely high school. If we can get an NFL coach, that'd be awesome, but I doubt it. Uh, and then um, we're going to, also talk to just a fan, one of our listeners, and we're going to compare all the answers at the end of the day and try to find, you know, where's where's the consensus? Where's the areas that certain people had some really interesting takes on? And I think we're going to make some good content out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Q, you, I mean, you came up with the idea. Credit word is obviously due, my friend. Uh, and it, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's really it's going to be a lot of fun, I think, to hear everybody's uh, different opinions. And then I know we talked internally about kind of throwing our opinions into the ring, too, at the end of it. And just like you said, kind of seeing where everybody lands on this, you know, slate of questions here. So, Robert, without further ado, we'll just dive right into it here. How do you see the state of the Bears? Well, you know, first of all, I'm honored to be the representative film guy. I love it. Thank you, guys. Uh, but I honestly feel really good. I mean, it's my opinion. I got a little too much stat nerd in me, but I'll try to fence it out for you, Q, where for years, the Bears have basically taken a bunch of players. Let's use the Jimmy Graham contract as an example, where they've said, Jimmy Graham, we're going to pay you a lot of money and you're going to play a very large role in our offense. And the players that they have chosen have been massively outsized by the expectations that that player needed to deliver on, which created Sam Mustafer starting center, massive failure, despite him being a UDFA and never being treated fairly by even people like me, because the moment that the bears declare them, you're starting center. It's like, well, best case scenario, he's going to be the 28th center in the league. What are we doing here? It falls apart. Right now, it feels to me, Ron, like the Bears don't have many players on their roster where they have signed them or drafted them with the expectation that they were going to be more than they are. Maybe the closest you get to that is Chase Claypool, but with DJ Moore and Darnell Mooney now both on the roster, if he's a good wide receiver three, whatever, we can we can move past the cost that was paid for him and assess that the Bears have easily a representative wide receiver room in the NFL, if not a decent one with some serious upside If because guys like Tyler Scott, Valus Jones find a role. From a film perspective, look, the, Bear, the 2023 Bears are still a work in progress, but that doesn't bother me. So I really like it. 
I mean, are they close to being a Super Bowl contender? Not yet, but they don't have the hard limitations that a lot of other rosters across the NFL do, like the Vikings, for instance, who need probably a change at quarterback plus more talent across their roster, plus figuring out what they're going to do with Justin Jefferson. Obviously, they're going to extend him, but what percentage of the cap is a massive talent like him going to cost and how much is that going to limit them? Because I know I'm a film guy. But the NFL is a shell game of resources and trying to create surplus value. And the Bears, say what you will about the sorry state of their defensive line, haven't invested anything in it. So they're getting what they paid for across the board in most cases, which is a massive, massive positive over what I feel like we endured with Ryan Pace, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was constantly with Ryan Pace. Like, you know, you paid – Robert Quinn, all pro money, and you were hoping you got a Pro Bowl player. You paid, you know, like you said, Jimmy Graham, Pro Bowl money, and you were hoping you got a guy who was just serviceable. Like it was that constant overpay that, like you were saying. Now, next question up here is something that is pretty pretty free reign for you to take with, but what do you want to see more of from the Bears in 2023? And you can compare that to anything, to last year, to the Bears historically, to any type of way you want to take that. So – this year, I mean, look, uh, the really softball answer to it is I would love to see more wins, certainly more than three, because as many different ways as the ball can bounce, football is a really brutal game. And you'll occasionally get a team like the Vikings that probably should have won eight to nine games last year. And instead they win 13. And now they picked really, really low in the draft. They got beat by the Giants in the first round of the playoffs. And they have to actually retool their roster after having overperformed too much. So I want the Bears, who I think got shockingly unlucky last year and i'm glad they did i love that they lost as many games as they did but you have to persevere through the bad luck this next year so to answer the softball part before we go on to a more nuanced answer i do want to see darnell mooney catch that touchdown against washington and if not i'd like to see dante pettis catch the opportunity that he had when the ball that hit him in the face that got thrown just a down earlier i would love to see less interceptions off of helmets i would love to see us catch all the punts that are punted to us like all the basics that happened last year where it was like what a goofy thing i didn't expect to see an nfl receiver need seven steps to curl on a curl route but i'm glad that equinavia st brown took so long because it stopped justin fields from beating the packers in week 14 not anymore they don't need to win 10 games. Honestly, if they win six or seven and other teams are just better than them, I will take it. And honestly, I'll smile the whole off season, the whole season as that happens. But this season can't be a five win year, pretty much no matter how many injuries you take. I mean, unless Justin Fields gets hurt, that's the obvious asterisk, but even then, you'd hope that Trevor Simeon has a, enough of a roster around him to not look quite as helpless as he did against the Jets. But I also want Luke Getze to keep his word and actually show that he's got a renewed emphasis to throw the football. Everybody keeps talking about how Justin Fields scrambled out of a lot of the passing attempts last year, and that's what skewed the numbers. You're kind of true. Right. Like that's kind of right. There's also truth to the idea that the Bears called like 30 passes a game, which is really low 
from an NFL standard. I mean, the total pass attempts that they were going to attempt in the first place were already probably four to five passing attempts shy of what is a standard NFL diet. Now, we don't have to go all the way back to the Nagy era, even though I would love that. I mean, I'm a Big 12 football fan in college. I'm Mm -hmm. like a spread option West Coast guy in terms of my core. So I don't mind the idea of throwing the football way too much. But even with the NFL's bent or even with the Bears seeming bent towards running the ball, we got to throw it more and we've got to plan to throw it more if we're going to develop a healthy quick game, which the Bears need desperately. But if they what end up back at ground and pound, run the ball a lot, use the quarterback to run the ball and beat the opponent to death with that, that's fine. But it's based in more outdated thinking that I think the bears can do better. A lot of that's philosophy though. And they do need to win games. Yeah. 100%. I mean, a ton of good things to digest there, right? Like it's something just as, as simple as, you know, winning more games, but the, the doing the little things the right way. And just this team taking a step forward as a real football team, really. Right. You know what I mean? Throwing the ball more, having a more balanced offense, not relying on your your top rushing attack for the first time. You know, best rushing attack since 1984 statistically. Like they don't need a, that anymore. And, and I think we're we're certainly in agreement with you there. Kind of spinning off, I think, of your answer here, Robert. I think you're going to be able to elaborate on this one. What is the favorite thing? Your favorite thing? Pardon me. That the Bears are doing with whether it's the roster, whether it's the scheme or any aspect really of the organization, just what is that glaring thing that stands out to you that you're like, I love that. That is my favorite thing that the bears are doing. right now. I get the impression that the bears are not suggesting that a specific player has to be the answer because, and I'm going to quote from Pace's tenure because we spent big money on them. So that has to be them. They drafted Valus Jones in the third round. If he doesn't, if he doesn't come to play in camp, he may get cut. Just a year later, they spent what ended up being a common first round pick and pick number 32 on Chase Claypool, whatever. We can get DJ Moore in a trade. We're going to no matter what that does for Chase Claypool going forward. We got TJ Edwards, one of the best statistical linebackers and a phenomenal linebacker uh, in free agency. I don't care. We can also get Tremaine Edmonds, despite the fact that both of these guys are more natural fits at Mike linebacker. We're going to because we need linebackers and that's a good player we can add to our team. Well, we have Kyler Gordon and we also have Jalen Johnson. That's not important. Let's add Tyreek Stevenson because we can. We've got Tevin Jenkins. Well, let's add Nate Davis, despite the fact that Tevin just played Nate's position and we're not moving Nate. So we'll move Tevin Jenkins again if that gets us more talent on our team. The Bears seem to be pursuing a 40 to 45 man football team instead of just thinking about the top 22, which is a big departure from not just pace. Emery did that too. Every Bears team I've just about ever watched has been focused on who are the starters, who are the starters, who are the starters, instead of trying to be deep enough to sustain injuries. I mean, you'll luck into scenarios where Kevin Pierre-Lewis on a one-year deal plays like a stud in the wake of Roquan Smith's injury, but it felt like luck. Let more so than we planned for this team to be deep enough to handle injuries. So I really love the fact, I mean, look, I am. I watch enough film to realize that you can run 
a 4-3 defense. There are some people that will act like not running a 3-4, not running Fangio-style covered schemes, not running match principle. All things that I love will automatically result in losses, and that's not really true. I mean, most of the time, the team with the most talent on your roster beats the other team. Like, you can end up in a, how many times would X team win versus Y team in 10 games? Sometimes the scheme will steal you two extra wins. So that team will win three games instead of one out of 10. But the team with the most talent wins five, six, seven, eight, nine, or 10 games out of 10 over the team with the inferior talent, depending on the talent gap. I love the fact that the Bears are approaching the total talent on their team like it is effectively a tank full of water, and as much talent as they can add to that roster is always a good thing in the eyes of this organization, and it's easy to do right now. The Bears are so bad that adding good football players, they were so bad that adding good football players automatically looks like superstar level ads because the talent difference between Kendall Vildor and Tyreek Stevenson is obvious. So it'll get more complicated in the 2024 offseason, which you might argue is the more important one because as, as many big moves as they're making this year, they could have added another Chase Claypool. And I mean, it would have made the roster better, but next year is where you have to start making choices and the choices will swing the team into being a, a competitor for the sixth seed or the competitor for the Super Bowl over the 2025-2026 stretch. But all that to say, I love the fact that they are approaching this roster in aggregate instead of thinking that any one player will see Week 18 with a guarantee. Because outside of quarterback, which is always the asterisk to this rule of uh, to this general rule, you never know which three receivers, which five linemen, which four defensive linemen you're going to get at the end of the year going into the playoffs. And so planning around the idea that you don't know, so let's just make everybody on the roster as talented as possible is a huge net win. Really quick before Q follows you up with, with our next question on deck here, just to kind of spur some more of your thoughts, because I think I could sit here and I could listen to you regurgitate football knowledge all day. <laughs> Do you think a lot of that kind of thinking about the roster and aggregate has stemmed from just this front office essentially being a product of good organizations in the NFL, right? With polls working his way over from Kansas city with Cunningham coming from the Eagles who obviously just met in the super bowl. You know, do you think it's, it's that kind of philosophy because of what they've seen, right? Like Philly's a perfect example. They draft their, you know, their front seven on defense consistently, even though they already have a plethora, their first pick this year is Jalen Carter. Like just that, like you said, thinking about that aggregate, thinking about that depth in terms of talent, do you think it's because of where they're coming from? Or do you think it's just, finally the right football people in the front office that are making a decision because at the end of the day, yes, ultimately there's only 11 guys on the field at any given time for your team, but you still carry a 53 man roster for a reason. Right. That's a really good question, by the way, because I, I don't know if I'd quite thought about it. If I had to guess though, I actually think it's because these two guys in Cunningham and Ryan Poles, who seem like they're kind of going through this as like a two-man leadership core. Yes, they have Matt Eberflus, but they come from two organizations that aren't just good, Ron. They aren't just good recently. They've been good for a while. Why is this important? It's not magic. It's because they have to figure out how to take limited resources and stay good 
when the resource parity between the top five and the bottom five in the draft should mean that eventually they fall off. Right. So mm-hmm. Ryan Poles had to figure out how do we add a defensive line, given that we don't have a top 20 pick? How do we figure out our quarterback scenario, given that Alex Smith is winning too many games to make this easy? We can't draft top 10. How do we balance all of this? And in Philly, they had to come up with similar answers. I mean, what do they do with the quarterback position, given Carson Wentz? They drafted Jalen Hurts, which ended up being quite a smart choice, but they didn't take him in the first. They didn't overreach either. They just took a calculated risk and they've been loading up on defensive line talent as we saw in this draft uh because it's available to them and they see defensive line as something that you need to win football games and that you can't have enough of i mean if you look at Kansas City, they add, they had Chris Jones, they had D Ford, they continued to add talent, which ends you up in of, with Frank Clark, ends you up with now they've got Felix and Adike Uzoma. Like they, you can see the threads of what these championship organizations had to do to stay good. But mm-hmm. I think honestly, looking back, Ryan Pace taught me that if you spend enough money, you can compete for the seventh seed. I mean, in in the middle of a bad sinking listing situation with the 2019 Bears, they somehow played a playoff game against New Orleans, which still stuns me sometimes Mm because that team was horrible. It was just bought and paid for, if you will. Ryan Poles seems to be trying to approach this from which of these moves will benefit me the most three years from now. And I think that long-term thinking aspect is what, Cunningham and Poles really brought over from those organizations because they had to think about not just now, but the very long-term future. And honestly, I'm not trying to take a shot that is undeserved. We will see which organization between the Lions way better set up for 2023, but they focused their entire draft around 2023 and 2024 Compared to the Bears, who with picks that were a little off the wall, depending on who you ask, like Gavon Dexter and Zach Pickens, taking a DB despite everybody crowing for more and more and more offense. Um, And then some interesting day three ads. I mean, I love their draft, but their draft isn't focused on tomorrow explicitly taking a tackle in the first round rarely means that your offensive line is going to have a super stud in his first year. But come 2024, come 2025, a lot of these positions that need a little time in the oven to bake before they're ready should start to shine like a normal draft class would, right? And at that point, I wonder whether the Bears will be able to overtake the Lions depending on what happens to some of these guys who need to burn bright because statistically speaking, guys like Jack Campbell and Jameer Gibbs may burn pretty short in the Mm -hmm. long scale of an NFL career. Yeah, now, I want to go back really quick to something that you said about really the four three defense and the defense the Bears run. Mm-hmm. Like I think this is something that that I've kind of kind of been toying with in my mind for a while. But I feel like the four three defense and specifically the type of defense that Eberflus really likes to run, it's not doesn't feel as reliant on top shelf talent on every level of the defense. It relies on maybe two guys who are top shelf talent and the rest you can get by with average guys and good coaching and good discipline. And I think that that's something that gets overlooked in the scheme 
the, the, the idea of using this scheme a lot is like, if your head coach is a defensive guy from this type of scheme, you need, you can put more resources towards the offense, which let's be honest, offensive league. That's what drives everything here and rely on your coaches and your couple top shelf guys to get you through to an average to above average defense. Now, you know, if you want them to be top five in the NFL, you're going to need the Lovey Smith Bears defense where they put all their resources constantly there. But like, I think that you can really build a serviceable defense in this four, three Tampa two concept based defense that, that they, that they run here now. You know, go ahead. It's funny. You mentioned that though, Q, because if we take a look at the bears free agency decisions and we take a look at the bears draft decisions, the bears have now had three second round picks. All of them are defenders. Uh, no, they have four because they traded up. Uh, no, it's, it's just, yes, it's four. Uh, all four of them are defenders with mm-hmm. Brisker, Gordon, Dexter, and uh, and and Stevenson. Then out of their third round picks, one of them's a defender. So day two, five defenders, one offensive player. I When we look at free agency, they spent huge on a linebacker, and then they picked up another linebacker to boot. It's not it's funny looking back at the 2018 Colts defense because I know the more I go back and look, the more I start to see a lot of these guys are studs. I just didn't know their name, right? Like I hadn't focused on super nickel Kenny Moore. I knew about DeForest Buckner. I did not realize Grover Stewart was <laughs> as good as he was. Yeah. Denico Autry is no slouch, neither is Quiddy Pie, right? Like a lot of the guys that you'll see in this system. I would argue, Q, that any any defensive system that there are books on books on books written to solve from an offensive perspective, that's really the problem. When people say when people act like running a four three defense is implicitly problematic, that's what they're really talking about. Is that there are known ways to beat this, whereas if you throw something brand new, like in Clemson. We watched a bunch of draft tape, right, Q? Uh, Clemson runs a three-safety defense most of the time. Like, very literal three safeties, also two corners. And they do a bunch of weird stuff at the snap. And it is confusing to me. Like, I have to watch the tape and watch it again to figure out what the rules are. And if I'm doing that, I'm sure opposing coaches are too. Whereas when Penn State trots out a cover two, like, two high shell defense, I know what they're doing. And I, and if I know what they're doing, so do opposing teams scouting them. Now, I also think that there is an implicit advantage in running a 4-3 defense these days. And that's that nobody wants your players. So when you find a Jack Sanborn, he's better in a 4-3 defense than he's ever going to be in a 3-4. And you can, you don't even have to draft him. And you've suddenly got a surprisingly good depth linebacker. Q and I have talked about this. If Noah Sewell, can figure out how to translate the power he showed in that 2021 Oklahoma game. He could be a phenomenal will linebacker for the Chicago bears out of the fifth round. And that's because everybody wants Trenton Simpson. Everybody wants what they thought they saw in Patrick queen, what Roquan Smith showed he is in that three, four scheme as Everybody converts to a three, four. You want those guys. You can get Tyreek Stevenson, but let's be more clear. Cam Smith shouldn't be there at pick 49 or 50, but he was because he's not popular in a three, four or in a lot of the Fangio style schemes that people are running. So I think that, believe it or not, I actually think Q, 
we've made this a bit of a misnomer because again, we don't know who Rakyasin is, but that's pick number 34. Underperformer yeah. or not, that's a big investment in your corner. It's just that when you've got DeForest Buckner, that's like having Chris Jones run whatever you want. Your defense will be all right. Like the indie defense has dudes, has dudes that other teams would have wanted had they had the opportunity to ever leave Indy, but the defense itself doesn't allow for some of the, let's say, star moments that you'll see other defenses feature. So I tend to think that it more holds down quality talents, notoriety, and that's okay. You get results. You get people saying, well, Matt Eberflus has never coached a, you know, a bottom 15 defense and other things that we had when he was coming to Chicago. But I do tend to think that the Bears are gearing up on talent for a reason. You need 11 guys that can play ball. Right. And my hope, because at least we saw glimpses of it last year, and if you know me at all, Ron, you know I have to work this in because I'm the president of this guy's fan club, is that the Bears have – one of the best safeties, especially in terms of creating, let's call them stolen plays, right, Ron? Where like people people like to use the term ball hawk. I've started to hate that term because mm -hmm. it implies that they, that a safety can ever draw the quarterback like is an errant throw. The quarterback yeah. shouldn't be putting the ball there, right? But Eddie can basically take plays away from or from offenses that aren't even mistakes. Like Tyrod Taylor, right. that throw was safe. If, if you can think back to the interception Eddie had ranging all the way over from center field, because yeah. Eddie's not that athletic, he'll just get to his spot, let alone the plays like he had against Trey Lance, where he steals an interception or Dak Prescott, where he jumps a seam route that he just knew. And he knew mm -hmm. where you were going with the ball. That kind of coverage instinct, I would hope can bleed to, to other players like the young guys that we've got on the DB room. But if you've got Jalen Johnson who can hold his own and Tyreek Stevenson fills a role, you're going to get offenses that are becoming more and more and more pressured to throw to where Eddie is because you're going to run out of options on mm -hmm. like, and you're going to run out of safety valves. I think that's the real linchpin of this bears defense going forward. They need the pass rush to be able to generate it. But if I'm Ryan Poles and I'm trying to come up with a defensive plan, my 2024 defense is featured around Eddie Jackson. Cause that's probably the last good year you're going to get out of him. And mm. they've just got to have the pieces to push the ball towards him and try to recreate that magical 2018 season. Yeah. That 2018 so, year was unreal. They had so, the pieces to force the ball to him. And mm -hmm. because quarterbacks, again, it's it's a it's a quick, really quick sur uh, summary of it is if you've got a defense with corners that make you plan to attack the middle of the field because the outside doesn't feel free and you've got mm -hmm. a pass rush to rush the quarterback, he won't check where the safeties are in the gratuitous detail that he might do it on another play. So you see Bears jersey, but maybe you don't see where four is specifically. And right. so if you think you're attacking Adrian Amos and surprise, you mixed him up, you're attacking Eddie Jackson, you're going to get yourself in the hot water. And all you have to do as a ball hawking safety is make the quarterback make three mistakes out of 30 passes. And you've made a monstrous impact right. on the game. It's You're it's telling really me the quarterbacks can't tell the difference between Amos and Jackson in a split second? 
You know, I honestly, Q, don't know if they can, depending on how well they tracked it pre-snap and yeah. whether the Bears – like, it's all play type, too. It's I mean, colors. Think about They're it, just Q. looking at colors. Like, right? 13 yeah. – like, probably 12 to 13 of a quarterback's pass attempts in some cases, he will turn around because he's doing the play-action fake. And so as he extends it, if the Bears rotate their safeties, when yeah. you spin back around, you don't have time to figure out which guy is which. <laughs> like, you're mm-hmm. you're looking at your guys. It's anyways. All that to say, any defense 3-4-4-3 three, four, four, three needs the guys that are going to tilt the field in your direction. Mm-hmm. Like, you need the guys that are going to play their role. Adrian Amos and Prince of Mucamura are my ideal 2018 Bears examples of that. But yeah. – then you need the guys that are going to take advantage of the fact that these other guys have filled their role. Eddie, and you'd hope it'd be Tremaine Edmonds. Edmonds did not tilt the field for Buffalo so much as he filled a very difficult role, but only filled it. But that's a whole separate discussion. Uh, like right now, the big question is defensive line, but Q and I have talked about this a lot, Ron. You need investment and resources to build a really good defensive line. And as 100%. the bears have taken a brick by brick approach, they just haven't gotten there yet because the, mm-hmm. or the opportunities haven't what appeared for them to do it. So right. I expect that they'll have a developed interior or a developing interior. It'll still probably be developing in 2024 to claim that either of these guys are going to be all the way there in their second season is ridiculous, but at least they'll probably have one. I mean, I could see the bears crazy enough to have two first round pass rushers in 2024 if they feel the need, but Mm -hmm. we'll have to just see frankly where the picks are and how the 2023 year plays out. So I think that gives us a smooth transition possibly into the next question of What's your least favorite part about what's what's going on with the Bears right now, roster-wise, scheme-wise, organizationally? Maybe hate that they're leaving Soldier Field, whatever it might be. <laughs> uh, there's there's so much to like about the philosophical direction about where the Bears are that I actually had to stare at this question and really think about it. I think that the number one thing the Bears have done wrong is that by punting on 2022 – which I am still in favor of. The implicit drawback is that you have hung Justin Fields out to dry. Like you don't know what your quarterback is or isn't because you gave yourself no tools to pass the football with last year. So you've got meeting rooms, you've got the practice field, you've got, but but at the same time, you know this guy's out there every single Sunday receiving very negative feedback from let's say the football gods because the moment Justin Fields finally throws with anticipation Jair Alexander jumps the slowest curl route known to man and you're hung with a game losing interception the moment that you try to force the football in garbage time I mean it's not an accident that every time the Bears enter garbage time and he throws the football to a read he knows he shouldn't he gets picked Talking week two, Green Bay, week 14, Green Bay. All these trash time interceptions are hilarious because it's Fields recognizing what he can't do. But we're also teaching him that don't throw the ball on time against Detroit because you can just beat three guys and race into the end zone, mow somebody down and score. Like, don't throw the ball on time because at any moment you're a walking touchdown. 
Like, don't don't do that. Don't play with anticipation because if you throw the ball on third down to your leading receiver, Darnell Mooney, he might drop it and you're going to get hung with a loss and everybody's going to remember the ball you clanked off somebody's face, which I've now mentioned twice in this podcast because <laughs> it really was that weird. Like, the, the feedback loop that Justin Fields had to endure, you just have to trust that the most important position in football and the most important position in an NFL team's ecosystem mm-hmm. can just ignore all of the bad lessons that he learned and somehow take away all the good ones despite all of his experience pointing in the other direction. Why would Justin Fields entering 2023 ever step up in the pocket and not also leave it? Why would Justin Fields at any point based on what he learned in 2022 trust a receiver to do their job why does justin fields think that play action works at all because especially from a pocket (laughs) or pocket protection standpoint like you think about some of the stuff that you would hope fields did not take away the scores said differently and justin fields isn't a stats nerd justin fields doesn't care Justin Fields is probably a competitor that does not relate to us at all. So he experienced 12 soul-crushing losses, many of which happened on the last drive of the game. Mm -hmm. What did he take away from those? (laughs) And, like, that to me is really the big – it's the big dark secret, I guess, of this Bears rebuild. Your comment on play action just makes me think – he probably thinks it's like Madden. You run play action, and if they're sending one extra guy, it's just a sack. Mm-hmm. It's that simple and mad. It's that simple for the 2022 Chicago Bears, wasn't it? Right. I mean, especially because you got guards that couldn't win on run action, play action. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, in play action, play calls, you get two major types of blocking. Talking mm-hmm. very high level. You either block it like it's a passing play and you Mm -hmm. cue the defensive line, hey, this is actually a passing play. Or you block it like it's a running play, which should be illegal, by the way. But referees never call it because (laughs) you just don't get far enough down the field. So it's not, uh, it's not, what do you call it? Like, uh, it's not illegal man downfield because if the line is smart, they block a wide zone play, Mm -hmm. uh, like moving one way or another. And in that moment, the offensive lineman doesn't have to do anything because all he's got to do is show its def- or like show it's a run and the defensive lineman will engage him as if it's a run play which even if you lose generally means that the defensive lineman is going to put a hand at your chest he's going to stand straight up and he's going to peek into inside the rushing lane and if at that moment he realizes lol it's a pass he has to swim the offensive lineman burst forward for the first time and make the massive run to a rolling quarterback and this nets you like three and a half seconds of pos- in pocket time unless like the play i'm talking with about with isolant you lose immediately <laughs> and the guy just rushes downhill like a normal passing play and you're just <laughs> stunned it happened at all like the mm-hmm. bears offensive line was so bad at pocket passing from the or within play action that they abandoned their entire training camp offensive concept that they had been trying to deploy through the Washington game. And I mean, the Washington game in particular was such a meat grinder of, of, of what fields had to survive. I'm not surprised they did it. It's just borderline embarrassing 
that they spent all offseason coming up with that plan. You don't work on plan B that hard, Ron. You don't work on no, plan you do B not. that hard, Q. Like they spent the whole offseason gearing up a specific play, passing plan and they mm-hmm. shredded it. So I really want them. Look, I don't even care if it's that great, but at least implement a plan. You don't have to scrap. Because Nagy ran into the same problem where consistently you saw offense 2.0, offense 3.0, offense 4.0. And every time it just got a little muddier and a little muddier to the point where by 2020, if they called timeout, you knew they were taking a penalty on the next play. Things were just that disorganized. Like, I can't imagine. We joke, but I can't imagine how many times that staff called a play they never practiced. Like, or they practiced once. Because... Mm -hmm. That's a thing people talk about, and part of what helps a lot of the the offenses that have stability is that you don't need Brian Dable in Buffalo to run a lot of the same stuff that Brian Dable ran because you ran it for three years. And so the players can show up, and eight of them have run this for years because they've been in Buffalo for that long. Chicago doesn't have that. They're going to pull some things from last season, but best case scenario, guys have been running this for six total weeks of game time, maybe maybe 10, depending on how consistent we actually think they were. So that's, I just want them to get that right. Like come into the, or into the season with an offensive game plan and please let it be good enough that you could finish the season with the same one. 100%. And ideally, right, you, you mentioned the, you know, the talent gap and, and filling that talent gap in this offseason, hopefully. Right. Ideally, that should help. <laughs> but again, football is football and crazy things happen and, and who knows where it goes from there. Kind of along the lines, and I'm actually really intrigued because I feel like, Robert, you haven't really hinted at the next question at all in any of your other answers. So this is what I'm really excited to hear is which position or positions if there's maybe two that are just like ah you can't can't choose you got to say both that you are most excited about in 2023 for the Chicago Bears wide receiver I've seen the Bears skimp on wide receiver my entire life Mm -hmm. and the one season that they didn't they had two guys catch for a thousand yards in Brandon Marshall and Alshon Jeffrey and oh my gosh we looked like world beaters when the offense was working I mean the we have had offense or wide receiver rooms like 2018 where Bears fans will beat their chest over a below average receiver room in a second round pick, Taylor Gabriel and Allen Robinson, like coming off an ACL, no less. Things worked out for Chicago, but the fact that they, I, I was certain they were going to stick with Mooney and Claypool as their one and two, because that's the normal Bears playbook. So most of this, if you can't tell, is more talking about front office direction than actual talent. Like, I love the fact that they drafted Darnell Wright. It's an unsexy pick, but it's the right choice for a team that needs to invest in tackle right around this point in the timeline. But adding DJ Moore, thus making one of their two guys in Claypool and Mooney likely not a future bear because I doubt you're going to pay three receivers that like eight figures a year. That to me shows a GM that looked at the room and said, this is not good enough. Like, and drafting a first round receiver, drafting a second round receiver, that is not going to fix this either. Like we, maybe we could add a Quentin Johnston. Maybe we could add a Jackson Smith Jigba. Is that really enough? And so instead they brought over a seasoned veteran entering 
the prime of his career. I mean, a coup move, a move that I would I would have told you the day before it happened, hours before it happened. You're dreaming. This is ridiculous. Uh, but to me, it is the most emblematic piece of Ryan Poles being a different GM than we've seen in Chicago for years. And that's why I end up so excited about it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, it, that makes 100% sense because I'm, I'm in the same boat as you, right? Like, I still remember the reaction of the Bears getting Brandon Marshall and being so excited the fact that they actually had a receiver that was worth a damn. Mm-hmm. In that in that receiving room, I remember going to a Chicago Bears game in 2017 when the ghosts of Marcus Wheaton and Kendall Wright were supposed to lead them to the promised yep. land. Like you said, they have never invested in the position on the offensive side of the football. It's been running backs. Right. And then on the defensive side of the ball, obviously linebackers, safeties, et cetera. But to your point, they went out, they made the move for a guy like DJ Moore, who you knew Carolina didn't want to get rid of. Right. They were they were moving up in the draft to get a quarterback of the future. What better weapon to have than a guy who's literally had the epitome of the Goonies as his quarterbacks for the last three years and still put up over a thousand yards in almost every single season that he's been in the right. NFL. Now you bring that to Chicago with a guy that, to your point, although a dark secret, a pretty talented guy at the quarterback position now for him to work with. It just it felt like You've seen it around the league where, you know, the Josh Allens got Stephon Diggs. The Jalen Hurts got A.J. Brown. And then they invested in the position around those guys as well. It's just refreshing to see the Bears kind of make their own version of that move. I'm right. saying, no, we don't want your 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 first-round pick in 2020, you know, 2025. We don't need that. We want D.J. Moore. And another, to execute that was huge. Another thing I don't understand – because I've seen this notion per, or perpetuated. I for crying out loud, it's perpetuated on the on the Carolina Panthers website. If I'm remembering things correctly, is this idea that the Bears asked for somebody else? Like the implication is obviously Brian Burns, and that they instead got DJ Moore, which to me seems insane. Because DJ Moore is the better choice. Not only is DJ Moore going to help your, I mean, in, speaking in Carolina terms, your rookie quarterback, but DJ Moore already got paid. So DJ Moore's entire signing bonus stays in Carolina. The Bears get DJ Moore on a discount. If you trade for Brian Burns, Nito, you get to pay him top mm-hmm. of market value. Top of market value because oh, yeah. you traded for him. So he's his agent has all the leverage. I mean, I don't understand why the Bears would have wanted J.C. Horn or Derek Brown or Brian Burns more than they would have wanted D.J. Moore. And like you're talking, just just one more thing I did want to say. It's not that I think the Bears have even put Justin Fields in a position to fail. It's just that so much weird stuff happens in a football season that I tend to think Fields' grading criteria is not going to be a semantic one this year. To me, that's the problem, right? If DJ Moore tears his ACL and Darnell Mooney tears his ACL and Justin Fields doesn't put up 30 touchdowns with Chase Claypool, Valus Jones, and Tyler Scott, I think there are still going to be some people in Chicago that are going to say, I don't know. Carolina gave us a top five pick this year. Are you sure we're good with Justin Fields? And that pressure to me is silly, let alone if Fields gets hurt. But again, we're just not going to talk about that. Why wish it into existence, right? Amen to that. Amen to that. So on the flip side of the coin here, what? where do you think the Bears really need more help? And, I mean, there's some obvious answers here. So feel free to, to, to 
talk through a few different spots, but like I want you to nail down one by the end of it. The obvious one is defensive line. But again, they're getting what they paid for. They chose this in effect. Like they've got some investment, which is good. I'm glad that we've gotten the ball rolling, but I don't even expect without a major move, the defensive line to improve as, as much as we might want it to. And that's okay. Cause we shouldn't expect them to. I honestly think Q my answer to this is the offensive line, which is in a better place. But again, if if a Bears fan reaches deep inside their soul and expresses what they know they feel, it's not good enough yet. Like the Bears in a best case scenario can field an above average offensive line. But we say this all the time. And then in a shocking turn of events out of 10 dominoes, only eight of them fall or something like that. Right now, a lot rides on Darnell Wright, and a lot more rides on Cody Whitehair, and a lot more rides on a fifth-round pick from last year, and we know just how well year two worked out for our last fifth-round pick that we heaped starting expectations on. I like Braxton Jones, because the the gimmick with Borum was always that he was a good pass blocker. And then once NFL defenses realized that they could just blast through his interior, he became not a good pass blocker. And he was always kind of a piss, piss poor run blocker with Braxton. At least you get plus run blocking in almost any situation. So how many L's are you willing to take on the pass game side of things? Actually decent chunk. Like if he looks like Larry Borum in pass pro, but he looks like very, 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 very low budget Trent Williams in run blocking. Okay. Okay. We can live with this. We can work with this. We can make this worth within our offense, but it's a lot of question marks for a team that the other two linemen that I've not mentioned, Nate Davis and Tevin Jenkins haven't played healthy season in years, either of them. So it's, it's a toss up and your backups are Lucas Patrick at left guard, right guard and center. Uh, Tyree Carter, who we know next to nothing about, Alex Leatherwood, who's a gamble that I would take again, but it does not seem to be paying any dividends anytime soon. And Larry Borum, the bears need more investment. They weren't going to do it all in one off season. They weren't going to do it overnight. Maybe the answer is chase Rolier, but Rolier has not finished the season either in, in an awfully long time. So it's not like that truly fixes the equation. And if we're all honest with ourselves, offensive line is like, it's so much more intangibles than most positions in the NFL that it's really frustrating to evaluate because the 49ers should have been bad if we judge them like a normal <laughs> team last year. But Trent Williams raises all ships, man. Uh, you know what I'm saying, Q? Where it's <laughs> like the whole offensive line, like three of the positions didn't have two starts to their name. But they figured it out just fine, didn't they? Like uh, it's it's such a weird position, but Get, we know who these Bears receivers are because literally all of them have NFL experience. Four out of the last five or four out of the five starting positions haven't played an NFL snap at that position either ever or within the last year. Uh, actually, that's not true anymore. It's, it's three now. Um, unless you count Nate Davis not coming directly from a Shanahan scheme and coming from a zone scheme that's similar, but it's got its differences. So now you've mm-hmm. got Davis in a new scheme. White Air hasn't played center in forever. Uh, what is it? Jenkins has never played left guard before. Wright has never played in the NFL before. And then and then there's Braxton. <laughs> but so <laughs> that's it's fine. Again, it's it's a better plan. 
than a lot of Bears plans that I've seen. It doesn't really have unrealistic expectations on every or on anybody. I hope the Bears add another depth ad, but I'm not going to celebrate adding Michael Schofield again uh, because that was a reach when we did it. Let alone. Oh, we were just we we were suffering from Stockholm syndrome by then. I was I was so happy about Riley Reef. You have no idea. Yep. Yep. And so it's like the the Bears have you know, a requisite NFL offensive line. But I do think if they're going to run the scheme that they want, you want to build the Cowboys offensive line, the Eagles offensive line, the Saints offensive line from yesteryear. Like you need to get better there. But again, Rome isn't built in a day. And so you need the opportunities to be able to make those ads. Cause I mean, Ryan Pace paid a premium for almost every single one of his big moves. And I mean, literally almost every single one because the guy couldn't stop trading up. Uh, and the Bears haven't gotten there yet. I imagine the Bears are aiming to win a Super Bowl in 2025, maybe 2026. Like, I don't think that this burn is going to be as fast as some Bears fans may want it to be. And that should be something we're celebrating because once they get to that point, they don't want to drop off. Like, they don't want to build a team where things fall apart. But if you're going to put this much expectation on your quarterback, Gosh, I wish his protection was a little better for a quarterback that we know likes to hold onto the ball more than a lot of others. This isn't Mac Jones. Well, yeah. and I know that, Ron, you'll, you'll appreciate this. You might even be able to speak to it some, but like on the O-line front, and especially just the continuity and the experience in the scheme, experience with the guys next to you. Mm-hmm. It's so big. And like my brain just goes to, there was a podcast I was listening to not that long ago with uh, Michael Jr. was on talking about his time with the saints and it was talking about jari evans and i forget who the tackle that he was playing next to was i don't think it was armstead but it was someone else just you know back like you said the saints o-line of yesteryear and he was saying you know those two guys they look in the same direction one of them grunts and they both just know mm-hmm. because they have that <laughs> that experience with each right. other they know what a grunt means they know what mm-hmm. like a, a sound that means nothing but they know it means something that's that's what o-line comes down to that communication yep. yes. just being that seamless and that's what the, it's gonna take the bears time to build that yeah and, and, uh, to and your on point, the flip side q if you don't mind me saying it ron the bears have been bad evidence of the opposite for a while now where they couldn't pick up a stunt and i'm convinced it's because all of them thought everybody else was the problem Like, I don't know what was going on in the meeting rooms with Chris Morgan, but they did not seem like a line that trusted each other at all. Cody Whitehair thought Sam Musfer sucked. At least it seems that way. And he thought Braxton Jones, a rookie, did not have his head on straight. Or he was worried about getting embarrassed because he was coming back from injury and things weren't going so well. And he thought he might get cut because everybody on Bears Twitter keeps writing articles about him getting cut. And I would struggle to imagine that like his wife and kids aren't reading them and being like, Dad, are we going to move sometime soon? People forget that like the athlete doesn't have to read Twitter. If his mom reads Twitter and asks him about it, it's all the same. But so like, like you're saying, Ron, it's like NQ, I mean, as soon as people like lose faith in each other on the offensive line, the mm-hmm. whole unit takes a massive step back because it's a team sport. You can't yeah. entirely subsist on individuals. Yeah, I think to because I was a proud offensive lineman in my playing day, and it, it's I think because to your point, you brought it up a little bit earlier, Robert. Right, like offensive line is one of the hardest positions I think as the quote unquote common fan to judge because it is so much relying on a unit. It is re- not just one man, right? Yes. Obviously you, you improve positions of the line 
one man at a time. But the continuity, the communication, the amount of communication that happens on the offensive line, like I don't think anybody that's never played the sport of football might not understand. Like if you've been around the game, you, you get it. But like your general common fan who just watches on Sunday and yells, go bears and at their TV all day probably doesn't understand that you're calling out even in run scheme. If it's zone run scheme, you're calling out your stacks. Hey, we're here. We're here. We're here. You know, this guy's got backside. We're coming here. Hey, if he flies, you're yelling to the guy behind you that they're, they're stunting. They're coming. You're moving. There is so much communication that goes into the offensive line play that I think we even saw it a little bit last season with the offensive line. They finally had a little bit of continuity kind of in that middle stretch of the season, right? Those, the Miami Dolphins games, the Lions, and what did Justin Fields do? He balled out because he had at least competent, not great, but competent protection because they were actually able to work as a cohesive unit. They were beat up the entire season, right? We didn't get to see Lucas Patrick at all as the starting center before he got hurt. You know, we didn't, you know, they were constantly moving guys around. Braxton Jones was a, a fresh face. Like, to me, the biggest key, I mean, it, it might sound cliche, but the biggest key to me for Justin Fields' development this season is the offensive line staying healthy and just developing that continuity as a five-man group because if they do that because of the improvements they made, I think that we can see Justin Fields take that that third-year leap that we've seen some of these other very good quarterbacks in the NFL also make. So oh, yeah. um, and, and absolutely agree with you. I think there, there's two spots in football to me you can never have enough depth at. And it's the two sides of the trenches. You got depth there. You're golden because you lose one or two major contributors on either side. And all of a sudden it's a very different looking football team. Oh yeah. Especially because I think people forget a lot that you need five starting offensive linemen and they're all going to carry a very heavy load. You need three starting receivers, but the positions are so different in terms of like, if you've got a number one receiver and you've got a rotating group, of twos threes and fours you'll be fine because your three receiver doesn't do the same things as your number one receiver the center doesn't catch a break if he's not any good like you don't get a bad offensive lineman that you could just bury on the offensive line the studs and duds approach does not work for uh, generally speaking you'd rather have an entire offensive line of be great players actually that'd probably be a fire offensive line compared to an entire offensive line of two A's and three, what, C minuses or worse. But it, like you're saying, I mean, th those are positions that you'll never quite have enough of. And I, the good news is Justin Fields' third-year leap, like you're mentioning, I don't semantically think he's that far away. There aren't near as many things that are unfixable. Like it's a different conversation that we had with Trubisky where we needed to see changes happen that no other quarterback had really ever emulated with fields. It's as much the offense doing him a couple more favors and him playing on time, which is something a lot of guys learn. And suddenly the offense will take a massive step forward because he's been scoring around these problems anyways. Like right. all throughout last year, I've seen people point out the Bears were 23rd in offense. That Bears team was 23rd in offense compared to their 32nd ranked defense. Why are we making Fields the ob or as out to be the problem in any capacity, Dan Weirder? Like it's I I get it. There are plenty of people <laughs> like you're talking about, Ron, that want to make want to want to make this about fields taking a leap forward honestly mm -hmm. to me it's like yes he needs to move forward but it's also like a rubber band just needs to snap and we get back to the normal 
of what a lot of these things should be and stop mm-hmm. throwing interceptions off of people's helmets. Like the, the weird stuff that shouldn't happen. If that doesn't happen. And a lot of the normal things that should happen, like Andy Dalton, I'll never forget Andy Dalton coming in in reserve for Justin Fields, throwing a screen pass to Darnell Mooney. Mooney runs for a 60 yard score. And the box score says Andy Dalton enters game 60 yard touchdown pass. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like if, if Fields catches mm-hmm. a couple of those breaks, like the Jameer Bird uh, long touchdown he had in 2022 mm-hmm. or 2021, plus a couple more things, ends up with some nice statistical numbers. Everybody will call it a third-year leap, and the three of us on this podcast will know. We'll know it was like a good, healthy step forward that mostly came from last year's development, but yeah. we'll take it all the same. A hundred percent. Q, really quick, I know you'll appreciate the story. You mentioned the the grunt and knowing what that meant. Um I played with a couple of guys like that throughout both high school and college where like they had just played so much together where they would kind of just look at each other and he'd be like, they would just like say a word and they knew what it meant. Like they would like make things up. They would like, they'd be like, Hey, if we're double teaming, like we're going to say this drive, we're going to say a color. And then like, they would just look at each other and be like green. Okay. Green. And then they would just go boom. And then the dude's getting blown off the football. Like, it's so cool to see that communication because yeah. it really is. It's it's probably the one position on the field, maybe outside of like, you know, your, your quarterback and his number one target where like a good offensive line is like five people that are married more or less. Like you, you've just got that, like that feel for each other at that point. Mm-hmm. You just know each other. It's like, you know, it's like when you're, you're, your significant other, you know, brings home groceries and you're like, did you buy? And before you can finish, they're like pulling it out of the bag for you. Same idea with offensive line play when it gets to that point. Oh, and then uh, Robert, I know you're the the big, you are the film guy. I mean, that's when it just becomes offensive line porn to me because it's just, it's a beautiful thing to watch when that happens. So anyone out there who wants to see some of it in action, Brandon Thorne just put out a teaser on his YouTube page for his sub stack of like, it's just like a two minute, a few two minute clips of him talking with Orlando Brown through a few Ooh. plays. And one of them is like, there's a corner blitz and he goes and picks it up and the guard next to him knows to fill his spot. And the whole line moves one, one gap down just to fill. And it's all just because he said, Hey, plus one right before the snap. And they all heard it. They all caught it. And boom, they all did it. It's, I mean, that's not the easiest thing to implement, but it's easy to, it seems easy, but in the heat of the moment in the game, like just hear that and react. It's not the easiest thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead, Ron. I was just gonna say it's, it's, it's truly a position where like you need that instinct, like, right. They talk about defense players playing with instinct, right? You need that instinct, but also you just need to be so technically sound at what you do in order to do that, right? Because like even in Orlando Brown's case, to pick up a corner coming off the edge, for him to be able to just the kick slide out there to get to him, you have to be Life technically matters. sound. Yeah, you have to be able to pull that <laughs> off. So, Robert, we'll, uh, we'll, we got one more question for you, and then we'll let you get out of here. But this one's easy. Easy for me to say, at least. What's your prediction for the year? My heart <clears throat> says same nine and eight that everybody else does looks at a bunch of guys on the schedule and says, Oh, how could we lose to the Raiders? How, how could we lose to the Cardinals? We're going to beat the Packers. My head says seven and 10. 
or and I don't know where the losses come from. I just know that there will be probably what two to three losses that we say, how could this have happened? Mm -hmm. Like there's going to be a bad call. That's going to twist a close game. There's going to be a horrible fumble. There's going to be an interception off a helmet. Uh, there's going to be like something weird is going to happen. And then somebody we think is going to be good is going to actually suck. Somebody that we think is going to be healthy will not probably like three people at that point. And if you're looking at a line without Tevin Jenkins, a defense without Jalen Johnson, Eddie Jackson ages too quickly. Be still my beating heart. Uh, <laughs> and like, and then I don't know, Chase Claypool twinges a hamstring and he's never the same. Like the team doesn't look near as good as it does right now in May. And that's fine. Like none of that involves Justin Fields. This could be a really fun season, even only winning seven games. But my head says, if you plan for seven, you won't be disappointed if things go wrong. And if you end up with another 2018 season, we're literally all going to be over the moon. But I still wouldn't predict it because I think they're just a little thin. They need to catch a few too many breaks to really get over that hump. Like, to be clear, the Bears could win nine games depending on just the teams in their division. But that means that the Lions, the Vikings, and the Packers have to all have like a couple bad outcomes. Because if any of them are a little better than you think they are, you're going to take a few more losses in the division than you planned to. Like, mm -hmm. let's say, not that this is going to happen, but like, let's say that Jimmo never gets off the ground. Amon Ross St. Brown gets hurt. Uh, and they lose one of their left, or they lose their left tackle, like the Lions do. Ben Johnson's good. That's a huge couple blows to your uh, to the Lions offense, and they'll fall down to earth. They'll still be pretty good, but you could split that series, right? Mm -hmm. If none of those happen, the Lions will probably beat us twice. And mm -hmm. so it's wins are so funny, aren't they? But my <laughs> again, I hope they win more than seven. I think they can. Like this isn't a wins loss predictions built on hopes and prayers where I maxed out the win total. Seven is a healthy number as long mm -hmm. as they stay relatively healthy, but we'll see. <laughs> I love it. That's, that's the perfect way to end it. It's just a, we're going to see what happens. And like you said, we're only, you know, under a hundred days now from the, from the beginning of the NFL season. So it will be, It'll be a good one. Robert, first off, thank you so much for joining us. Do you want to take a quick second and just kind of let all of our listeners who might not be as familiar with you, uh, let them know where they can find you. On, uh... Find me over at Windy City Gridiron on not only the Windy City Gridiron podcast channel, but on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz, where I post a whole bunch of breakdowns of all kinds of different Bears players and topics, and on YouTube at Second City Gridiron, where I should be able uh, – I'm – I'm working on it now. We should be able to get, a, I think it's really interesting, Jordan Love breakdown up here fairly soon. Um, and then we'll probably move on to like Darnell Mooney, a couple more members of the rookie class. And so anyways, I don't want to get into everything, but it should be a fun off season. I love it. Well, Robert, we appreciate you joining us so much. Uh, and for everybody that follows us as well, be sure to follow us here at Bears on Tap on Twitter. You can find all of our other great content for all the other sports teams we cover here in the city of Chicago over at ontapsportsnet.com and at ontapsportsnet on social media. Gentlemen, this was a blast. Robert, thank you again so much for your time today. And uh, gentlemen, what do we say? We get out of here with a, a quick old bear down. Bear down. Bear down. <laughs>